Welcome to Design Your Life, a podcast where we explore applying design principles to everyday life. I'm your host and founder of Frost Collective, Vince Frost. My first guest of the series is a Sydney local who has been working in the Australian creative industry for over 30 years. From determined office boy to the founder and executive producer of the highly decorated production company Finch, he has formed a well-defined creative path. Recently born from his long-standing passion for improving our world, he established the Lion's Share, an initiative which aims to direct a percentage of companies' advertising spend towards animal conservation practices. The business is co-funded by the UN, endorsed by David Attenborough, and supported by the likes of Mars, JC Deco, and Gucci. Hey Rob, welcome to Design Your Life. Special series with DNA D, which we're very, very excited about. This is the first one out of six that we're doing, and we're going to do a live event in May in London, which is really cool. Very excited to be here. This it's is really my first podcast, so you're popping my cherry. <laughs> oh, funny. You know what's really cool about this is I've, I never met you before, and you've been in Sydney for a long time doing phenomenal work, and I keep hearing the name Finch uh, over the years, and I didn't even know what Finch was, so <laughs> excuse me for that. We've met the other day, and I went to your, your studio, and it was fantastic, and uh, uh, I thought, wow, how did I not know about you and, uh, and your business previously? Well, the truth is we actually worked very close to each other geographically, mm. and I'd heard a lot about you but was weirdly intimidated by you in, when you were in Surrey Hills, so I never oh, really? even reached out. Yeah, God, that's intimidating just you saying that. Well, that's a terrible thing that I give out. <laughs> um, that's certainly not my intention. I love meeting uh, interesting people, talent, um, entrepreneurs, people doing great stuff. I just, that gives me so much energy. And I'm just, I'm just constantly thinking now about, God, how can we do things together? Can you imagine what we would have done ten, started, if we started 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So t- just talk about your, your history, because obviously you're Italian, because your arms are moving around a lot. Yes, um, you caught up with my son just now talking about his new Italian restaurant, which you're very, both very passionate about. Yes. Um, how did it all start for you? Um, look, um, started, my father was a pharmacist. I was I'm the youngest of four. Um, we were all meant to be pharmacists because he had a few chemist shops and he's like, take over the family business. We all kind of went to some version of uni. I dropped out after two years realising there is no way I could ever be a pharmacist. <laughs> um, got a job at Bras and Things Lingerie, <laughs> which is a weird one, but um, kind of learnt um, what communications felt like there. Went through a whole journey at Bras and Things, realised I loved the idea of um, the power of sharing stories to a broader audience. Um, found a way in as the dispatch boy at Young and Rubicum. Mm. So left that job. I actually got my uh, the job at uh, Bras and Things. I was the national visual merchandising manager. And uh, while I was there, I came up with the name Sanity and Sanity Music and did mm-hmm. a bunch of things around Sanity there with Brett Blundy. Um, and then realised that um, there was a kind of a bigger world and I was going to be the littlest fish in the bigger world. So um, got a job as the dispatch boy um, and worked my way from there into TV, into head of TV. Left there, went to... Wow. I mean, that's you're just going to glimpse over that, but that's a big... Well, that was eight years. That's a journey, uh, yeah. eight, maybe nine years there. Um, and then uh, got a, I got headhunted by Radical Media, which is a really forward-thinking film production company mm-hmm. based in America. 
joined there, then got offered the role to run that. And I was there for another eight years and then uh, decided it was time to start my own thing called Finch. Mm. How long ago was that? You started That was 10 years ago now. Wow. I mean, it's quite a substantial business now, isn't it? Yeah, it never feel. It always feels like it's uh, not quite good enough. You know, yeah, I we, know that feeling. You know, you never make it. You're like, oh, I wonder what else we could do. Yeah, wonder yeah. and and with the way um, income is, if you're a business that doesn't have um, permanent clients uh, or set clients, you constantly you only eat what you hunt. Mm. So um, that keeps you pretty sharp. And is it uh, so? It's a production company, or how do you yep. describe? Uh, Finch. We used to call ourselves a film production company, but we also do, we're in the documentary space as well, so we're co-producers of a show called Chef's Table on Netflix. Um, we've just finished another feature doc that's gone out, mm-hmm. um, and we do some other long form. Um, we also do um, our own post-production, which gives us this, um, gives us the chance to kind of experiment and play in the world of post, mm. but we've also built out a, a I would call it a, creative tech company if you will that has um, mechatronics engineers on staff and coders so that has a team of 14 now um and a workshop where we get to imagine things that you mm. probably where we get to build things that you imagine that you probably couldn't make yeah i saw that when i went over there the other day the the lab mm. downstairs. we don't call it a lab okay actually. all right let me tell you why why because everyone calls them labs okay. and nearly all of them are fake ours is actually a <laughs> workshop with real people in them that actually make stuff that we own IP on. Mm. How did you, what started that? Why did you get into that area? Um, I'm not really sure. I think we we were well. It was actually the, the business is much much less strategic than you would think. Um, I'm really interested in interesting people mm-hmm. and um, seeing what sort of voice they have. Um, so the fellow that runs Nakatomi, which is the name of our tech, um, he he was a professional poker player on the professional poker circuit. His name is Imad Tatu. He is a smart, very smart dude. Um, he understood tech, so he was in um, FinTech Security. Um, and uh, we were making a TV show, and he was one of the consultants on it. And... I was like, this dude's really smart. <laughs> so I and I was about to open Finch, and I thought, um, I don't know what I would use him for, but I just know I he needs to be with us. Yeah. And so we just started chatting about what could the future um, of the world of communication and mm. storytelling. Yeah. Um, I wonder what real tech could, um, how that would integrate. Mm. And we just started doing it. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely felt like a great energy there. Mm. Um, just talking, about, and you've opened uh, over time, you've opened in other places as well? We're in New Zealand and Melbourne as well. Mm. Um, trying to be a sm- have a smaller footprint as we can, but mm. um, it seemed important for different reasons to have some bricks and mortar in different places. And is the, is the bulk of your uh, work through the working with the directors that you've got? You've got 22 directors, is that right? Yep. So um, most of our work still, come, you know, our, we've got really good relationships with most of the big creative agencies in town, the good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, our focus is still on how do we um, make work better? How do we realise um, and interpret scripts that come in and make and try and realise them in the best possible way? Mm. Um, it's always nice to meet someone who's passionate about ideas as well. So we're... 
you know, we're all passionate about doing ideas, working on ideas for our clients, you know, as, as servicing our clients, I guess. Um, but self-initiated ideas also, you know, give you a huge buzz. Um, how did the line share come about? Well, look, you know, like your business, you know, I think um, one of the remarkable things about um, Frost is there is such a reputation for craft um, and you know, I, I imagine, I assume some of it, quite a lot of it is interpretation from briefs that come in mm-hmm. and how do you solve that problem for yep. a client, um, which is great and it is invigorating. I guess uh, when you when you really know that you can do that and you're good at it and you're good at it, you there's another little itch that happens, which is, mm-hmm. all right, so now I understand the world we're in. Mm-hmm. So now what is our what are our futures? What do we want to be? Mm. And um, one thing that I realised um, some years back is the future is not something that's coming towards us. It's literally just whatever we do next. Mm. So um, realising that we God, where did that come from? Just popped your in, shrink popped into my head. I was at I wake up in cold sweats at three a.m. <laughs> often. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so you know, I think with that mentality, you kind of go, all right. Well, if that's true, what do we want to be? And how do we show, um, well, how do we build the world we want? And um, um, that's, I guess, where you start to go, well, well, what can we do and what can't we do? Mm. And if um, you think about the description of the group of people that we've built at Finch, Mm. um, in the most arrogant of ways, there's not very much we can't do. Uh, And if we can't, we we know who to call. So at that point, um, when a good idea comes across my desk – um, and it seems like it would is both simple and, and inevitable, which I that's how I kind of frame the most beautiful of ideas. I think I stole that from Levi Slaven out of um, Colenso in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. He's he's got a great brain, um, mm-hmm. so I borrowed that from him. Um, but once you realise that there's an idea that's come through that is um, good, like a great idea, um, it's kind of hard to ignore it. But you've got a big heart in the first place, right? So not all entrepreneurs have, have that. I mean, there's doing phenomenal work, but you really care about the world as well around you, right? I probably would adjust that. I don't I wouldn't say I've got a big heart. I well, just, I'm just trying to flatter you. I know, dude, but it's not real. <laughs> the the truth of it is I just have a lack of respect for money. Because ah. here's the thing, when someone says, Oh, I've got this thing mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, okay, that'd probably cost me fifty grand to work out. Is it good? And what's the upside? Wow, the upside's great. Then I think, would I prefer $50,000 in the bank or seeing if that thing's real? And weirdly, I just don't – the bank thing is not exciting. Because you just have to stay open Mm -hmm. and um, be able to, you know, feed everyone properly. And after that, like, what are we going to do now? Like, let's do some cool shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you ever say no to work? Yeah, we say no to shit work. So work that we, if we can afford to. Yeah. And uh, oh, here we go. In the past, we've off. I know, so it is about the money. You look, as you I gotta, said, you got to. Yeah, you got to work. We've got a responsibility, of course, to um, our directors and our team to go. Cool, you know, we're going to do some interesting stuff, but obviously, we're going to pay you each month, and even we're going to try and do well enough to, you know, pay your bonus and have it you know, to reward you financially as well. So we're pretty good at working out, look, what's come in, is it good, could we make it better, 
and then we aggressively try to win the work. Mm. But we definitely say no to work. So, so obviously, you, you guys have won an award for lion share at the Impact Awards. Yeah, we also really, we also really cool. won the Grand Prix for the SDGs at Cannes last year, which was kind of the big. That was the kind of big moment that got us um, on the lips of a few big American people, and obviously. Um, um, a much, much more prestigious award that we received <laughs> was the white pencil, yeah. um, which is um, kind of, yeah, it was very exciting to receive that. So it's a project that started, must have started a few years ago now then. Yes, I'm bad with dates, but I'll tell you worry, um, a few years back, um, one of our, so should I explain what the lion's share is? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, so I'll give you the quick top line, and that is, Brands use animals in their advertising all the time to generate profit. So wouldn't the world be better? And, and, and don't contribute anything back to the natural world um, through that mechanism. So wouldn't the world be better if every time a brand used an animal to generate profit, it would contribute half a percent of the media buy to a fund that would distribute, those, um, distribute that money to conservation uh, and to biodiversity? to really help save the planet because the planet's in dire straits. Mm. Um, I don't need to exp- – I think everyone understands yeah, yeah, yeah. that. Um, I, I would say, you know, 20 years ago, the lion's share, no one would have thought it was needed at all because I don't think ev- anyone understood the plight we were in. Mm. Um, so I'll give you a quick snapshot. As we started to – so um, that idea was brought to me by um, the team at Finch. It was the idea of Chris Nelius, who's one of our film directors – Came up with it watching the cricket, drinking beers. I think he'd seen an ad for Optus about data with animals in it mm-hmm. while we're right in the middle of trying to make a documentary film about rewilding that we couldn't get funded. Mm-hmm. So he was frustrated, started drinking, came up with it. Um, he shared that with um, that big idea with Michael Hilliard, one of you know, the EP who actually who drives the whole chef table um, aspect from the business, but also. Um, He's our key player in branded entertainment. Mm-hmm. And Mike had um, – so they worked out the 5% sorry, the half a percent mechanism that went into the rest of the team and they kind of come up with a name. And so they came in, pitched that as a simple thought. Wouldn't the, I think Chris actually said, dude, animals are used in ads all the time and they don't get paid. That's mm-hmm. fucked. Yeah. I was like, yeah, that's <laughs> fucked. That was actually the pitch. I was like, yeah, that is fucked. Yeah. And what's the value? Because you, you said something like it's an insane amount of – well, money's, I mean, in terms of the value of that. So huge. as we started, so I said, great, build out a deck. Um, let me see if I can go and sell it. It makes sense. So it, this Which idea. I'm sure felt, you could sell anything. You're well, <laughs> I thought I'd give it a wriggle. Yeah. So um, we started looking at it. We realized that um, last year, $600 billion worth of media was spent. Um, well, in, like globally. Globally, $600 yeah. billion, and $118 billion of it had an animal in it. So almost 20%, and those numbers came from Nielsen. So we engaged Nielsen. They said we were on board, um, uh, and they understood it. Um, And so you you start to go, shit, we could do a lot with that money. You know, Mm -hmm. if if you got every brand, you're almost at a billion Aussie Mm -hmm. per annum going out to – so really the point five percent of that half a percent of one hundred eighteen billion yeah. is about um, around six hundred million US. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a simple objective of cool. I wonder if we could get to a hundred million per annum 
Uh, we're well on our way um, mm. because we're starting to get some really good momentum only because the idea does make sense and mm. it is inevitable. So hopefully I think we end up creating the new standard very quickly. So was it like a, a moment when you guys are talking about the initial idea going, is this an opportunity? Is this, is this something? Have we, have we stumbled across something that's like no one else has seen? No, that's not how I saw it. It was like, uh, sorry, dude, no, it was really, (laughs) it was one of the things on my desk. It was one cockamamie idea on my desk and I was like, all right, if they build out that deck, I wonder if I could do it. Because remember, everyone's getting on with their day jobs Mm. normally. So we don't, we, one thing about Finch is we never rest on our laurels. We don't think we've done anything. It's, so there's just this bubbler effect of interesting thoughts that pop up. And then as they form, if they formalise into a deck that can be sold, then we give it a wriggle. Yeah. Um, so, you know, for about six months it sat on my desk. I uh, tr- had a few conversations that didn't really go anywhere with a few people, a few pretty big people. Um, I actually shared it with Richard Curtis um, um, when we were in Cannes at one point and he thought it was a good idea but thought it would be very difficult. Um uh, because most of these are sticking your neck out. These conversations are sticking your neck out and um, um, it's probably one of the themes around why we do get work up because you do need to find some sort of courage to keep going when mm. it's going to either be expensive or you might look like an idiot. Yeah. Um, and uh, I have a little note. You wouldn't have seen it in my office, but I have a little note um, that says, don't worry, you'll be dead soon enough. <laughs> so well, where do you put that little note it's 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 small and it's at my desk okay so um you know every every time where i'm thinking oh ugh, i don't know if i should do this or can i do it or should we push and i read don't worry rob. it actually says don't worry rob you'll be dead soon enough mm. it's like yeah just what do you got to lose we're all literally only here for a second yeah. it's a blink so just Get on. Just try it. So does that stop you from procrastinating it, or shelving It stops things? me from being scared. Mm. That's when, I, when I'm a bit scared. I'm like, I read that and I'm like, well, actually, once you understand that sentence, there's really uh, not much. You, if, if it makes sense and you think, well, do I want to see if there's an outcome? You yeah. Do it. So, um, which leads me into how we kind of got the lion's share up, which was um, we had a long-standing we have a long-standing relationship with Mars. Really, since the business opened, Emad from um, Nakatomi had come up with some tech that was kind of cool. Around um, two people could go and into a cinema and watch two films at the same time. We were able to patent the tech. It was called Thirty Seven Degrees. We did it. We donated it really to Mars f- um, to help save dogs. Um, they'd seen it, heard about it. I got flown to McLean to present it, which is the Mars head office, and got to meet the president of Mars and so on and so forth. And from there, built a great relationship with the global CMO who introduced me to the new global CMO. His name's Andrew Clark, who's a wonderful man. Um, and he was coming to Melbourne and said, hey, you want to, let's have dinner. So myself, um, Andrew and Nick Garrett went to dinner in Melbourne. This is about six months after I had that lion share pitch on my desk. Mm-hmm. I took him to dinner pitched him the idea um, at dinner um, and basically he said, I love it. If you can get the United Nations on board, we'd be in. Um, 
So the scale of what Mars... So, what, yeah. Were you like, uh, oh. <laughs> Dude, back to, well, this is where, don't worry, Rob, you'll be dead soon. Enough yeah. comes in because I was like, oh, shit. I don't know anyone at the UN. But the upside is Mars spend, depends on how you count, probably $2 billion media dollars a year. Mm-hmm. And it's probably higher than that. So um, I thought, okay, well, that's... Says he's in. If the UN's on board, so now I have a clear step. Mm. Can I get the United United Nations on board? Um, so that's when I, I would normally have gone. I don't know anyone at the UN. That seems impossible. I go back to my desk, read the little note. Mm. Don't worry, Rob, you'll be dead soon enough. So then I work out: Do I know anyone at the UN? The answer is no. But do I know people who might know someone at the UN? So um, very generously. Um, Cheryl Winnell, um, who is the um, – she runs SAWA, um, Screen Advertising World Association, so all of the cinema advertisers. Um, um, she knew somebody – I know Cheryl really well. She's mm-hmm. a great lady. And she knew a fellow named Maha Nasa at the UN. She introduced me via email. Um, and she happens to also be married to Terry Savage, who is the chairman of Can Lions. So um, we've had great support from both of them. But um, she reached out to Maha, who wrote back. Um, I, I think I wrote a note saying, um, Hi, Maha, I have an idea that will change the world. I need one hour and I'll fly to New York for a meeting. Um, there wasn't really much at risk for him to say yes. He said, if you can come in the next 10 days, I'll meet you because I'm going on a three-month sabbatical. So bought a ticket, flew to New York. I used the same paper deck that I'd had on my desk for because it kind of worked with Mars. Um, and I pitched the UN. I pitched four people at the UN. Um, and, it, you know, the lesson, I guess, is um, if you follow the money, it's pretty good because um, the UN's interested in half a percent of 20% of $2 billion for nature. Mm. Wow. Was that a scary moment for you? Yeah. Uh, no, not scary, sort of more surreal. I, I knew, like, uh, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, so I bought tickets to Springsteen on Broadway. <laughs> so I was like... If it didn't work out, I'm going to go to a concert. Or at the very or, least, yeah. I went and saw Springsteen. So yeah. that's what I just kept telling myself, because I had to fly back to New York for more and more meetings, and then it became a weird thing where I was like, oh, I should go see Springsteen again, because he's probably not going to tour soon. And then after the third Springsteen, it became... Um, one of those things where I was like, oh, shit, I don't want to jinx it. I'd better go see – because all the meetings were going well. So then I'd be like, I'd better go see Springsteen because maybe that's why <laughs> things are going well. So I've seen Not Springsteen on Broadway seven times now. No. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. It's Is it that good? Dude, it's probably the best single thing I've ever watched. Really? Yeah. Some wow. people say that the lion's share, if we ever did a documentary, would – literally just say the lion's share the road to Springsteen because that's actually <laughs> I'm trying to work out how to get him oh my God. to um I, I just want to catch up with him and talk to him about life so what so do they, so they say yeah we're in as well they didn't say yes straight away um three two people said no it'll never work um the conservation world and consumerism will never cross and they almost left annoyed um Maher mm. was um nice and you know um i guess he wasn't yes or no he just said 
Yeah, it's definitely interesting. We should explore it for sure. So he was a positive voice in the room. And then there was a fellow named Boaz Paldi. Great names. Dude, this dude's incredible. So he was meant to go home early because I was there Friday afternoon and he decided at a whim he'll stay late for this weird little meeting from, from a dude from Australia. <laughs> and he said, oh, this could work. He was actually the – he and Maher were the lone voices saying this could work. Um, and to this day, Boaz actually now runs um, the lion's share from our UN perspective um, and technically runs our secretariat. So this is the, he's the guy who um, helped drive us through the UN. So the way it worked was, you know, and remember now, I'm just a dude who doesn't know, I know very little about politics, nothing about the United Nations, I'm a guy who likes Bruce Springsteen, who flew to New York to pitch an idea mm. with a paper deck. Yeah. Um, but they, f- they invited us back six weeks later. So I got an, um, a document. They took, obviously took it seriously. Boaz actually sent it up the line. Um, and they wrote us a 30-page document, um, a TOR, on why they thought the lion's share – it literally says they believe that it might be the clue to saving the planet from the sixth extinction. Um, and wow. I didn't quite understand what we may have unearthed at the UN, yeah. but they'd been trying for years to work out how to work with the private sector with real systemic change and bring the public's, um, public power into mm-hmm. the private sector and work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we flew back six weeks later, um, it was to a room of 16 people at the UN wow. and Mars. And we pretty much did a handshake deal then. Um, And this is um, back to, don't worry, Rob, you'll be dead soon enough. Um, Were you in a Bruce Springsteen shirt? No, I didn't. I don't don't buy the bits, but I had seen him (laughs) the night before, so it was all G'd up. Um, So then they said, great, Rob, that's great. We've got a heads of agreement. Now um, you'll need to come back tomorrow um, because we've got to work out all of the governance structure mm. and i'm like i don't know how to do governance structure with the united nations uh, mm. so the next day sat in a room with 18 people on wow. building out the governance structure of what the lion's share would be and had to make quite a lot of decisions at that moment on how to did you have that. legal representation as well no wow no no i had nothing i'm really this there's was a lot just of trust yeah there's a lot of trust but um you know i think little bit of hustle and a little bit of common sense goes a long way so anything i didn't understand because they use a lot of um and acronyms and so there's a lot i didn't understand and a look of disapproval after someone does a pitch to you a look of this is the tool i used i kind of looked either i'm disapproving or a little disinterested and then said "Mm, i'm not so sure what else have you got then they would adjust the pitch Mm -hmm. to the point where they and I thought, oh, they seem a little nervous about what they're pitching, which means it's probably my favour, which I said, look, why don't we tentatively agree on that for now and let's move forward. Mm. So I probably didn't understand most of it for a few weeks, to be honest. But we got there. So when you're working at bras and things, did you ever <laughs> think that you'd be sitting in the United, Nation, United Nations with uh, Mars, etc., talking about a project such as that? No, I, I don't even, you know, I don't even uh, think I thought that you know, a year, you know, two years ago. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about what I don't know where I'll be in the next two years. I yeah, think yeah. all of us can kind of enjoy that 
you know, the ima- the universe has a better imagination than us. So, mm. so what then? Once that was all signed, then what? That was and how signed, long ago was that? Was it like a year ago? Uh, or so? No, that or was more? about a year and a half. That was two years ago, and then um, we um, we started building out our secretariat. Um, so the I started understanding the way the United Nations works. You have a secretariat, you have a steering committee, you have a board. Um, the fellow on um, who sits on our the chairman of our board is a man named Akim Steiner, who is um, he runs the UNDP, which is the biggest part of the UN. So he's a really big deal, and the fact that he sat on our sits on chairs our board um, is a big deal. It kind of helped us get a lot of things done at the UN. Mm. Um, and the fact that he sat on our board meant that the conversation started happening with um, the Royal Foundation, with the princes, um, with Sir David Attenborough, who mm. very quickly agreed to be our special ambassador. And his um, CEO, Mark Rose, who's a wonderfully generous man, um, um, they've, yeah, they've signed up. And um, so we have Sir David. We had Sir David Attenborough pretty quickly um, once the deal was done because he understood what we were trying to do. Mm. Huh. And that's the whole, because you guys are so good at uh, creating the content and uh, how you um, produce, produce that, it looks phenomenal. Um, the brand is a beautiful brand as well that you created. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? So the brand was created by a new um, little agency called Dam. Um, yeah, they, you know, it, it's tricky to um, hand out briefs when you're not really a client. We're not, we weren't a client, so they helped us navigate through that. Um, um, but the brand looks lovely. It had to work in well with the UN and um, we quickly, um, um, you know, we took on a creative agency which is Clemenger BBDO Melbourne, um, partly because obviously Mars is their client um, and um, I was, you know, it was Nick Garrett and I at the dinner as well, so Nick was the CEO of Clems at the time mm-hmm. um, and they're a bloody good agency. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think... At the time, they'd won the number one agency in the world. Um, and so, uh, but it becomes difficult when they become potentially our client mm. and we're their clients on a day-to-day basis. Mm. Um, but they come up with a beautiful idea around, you know, the line is for the conservation of hope. And a um, big part of what the lion share is, it is a hopeful fund. This is, it's a fund that empower the public. You know, you can choose... You can call brands out if you want to. We, we, we were very careful about um, naming and faming, not naming and shaming. It's something we'll continue to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of brands that do a lot of shitty things mm-hmm. and we care that they're shitty um, and we assume that they're trying to make their processes better. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, though, a very simple thing they can do is sign up because um, um, it's the lion's share is for sinners and saints. It's not. You don't have to be – no one's squeaky clean. And so, um, yeah, between um, finding that line out of Clemens and Melbourne um, for the conservation of hope and working out what our design and, you know, it was really nice for you to compliment the look of that design because um, it, do, it was designed to feel hopeful. Did um, the name, the lion's share, come out of Clemens then? Or you no, guys? that came out of Finch. Um, okay. uh, that was part of the early time, I think. There was a, it's just a um, genius name. 
it's good, right? Yeah. So um, it was Luke Mazzaferro um, and Jake Rogers and um, and Chris Neely. So they cracked it. And mm. it sa- I think they cracked it quickly and it was like, yeah. And it just made it to a paper deck that never changed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so you talked the other day to me about all the it's not it's not like some of these projects I've talked to in terms of the the impact awards, some of the projects that have won awards haven't actually yet been uh, you know, entering into the market or kind of been realized yet. But this has, right? Is, is this in the market you've you're raising money already? Uh, as in is the fund working? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's um we've already um spent money on a range of um initiatives. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, we've it's the mechanism's built. So um I think that that's probably the big difference between this and some of the other things. You know, we're we're a little shy about entering it into awards to be honest because it's it's way 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 beyond marketing awards, but mm. it's relevant to the marketing world. So we kind of had a little bit of a thing where we said we'll only enter it into awards where it's going to help the profile and help drive signups. Mm-hmm. Um, if it doesn't, we were going to not bother. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth is, over the last couple of years, um, we've got plenty of other partners as well. So JC Deco came on board. Um, as I said, Nielsen's on board. Mars is on board. The Economist. There's a whole list of brands that are on board. Um, the truth of it is is that we have built the mechanism and we're now at a stage where we can just say to brands, um, do you want to continue to be a brand that uses animals to generate profit without contributing? Mm. If you don't, if you actually just want to contribute a tiny bit to make a massive impact, all you have to say is yes, the rest mm. is built. Mm. So um, that's kind of an exciting place to be rather than it being a pie-in-the-sky idea. Um, it is a real example of scalable systemic change um and i think that's what we need you know every time you unpack any new packaging of any new product and you realize the um massive amounts of waste and you know the the systemic usage and the impact that we naturally have on this planet um pretty quickly awareness campaigns you start to go, that's not going to be enough. They're important and we love doing them and we, we, we do them all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, our business became about a real experiment in what could we do about scalable systemic change. And that's mm-hmm. probably of, of anything I would love um, anyone listening to this is to think about um, scale systemic change. What can we do to actually shift the way things are done mm-hmm. in favour of the planet? And we, I, th- I don't think we talk necessarily about yet the where the funds go, right? Where, do, where does the money go to to make yep. the difference? So the way it works is um, we have a steering committee that meets twice a year. We have um, not just the United Nations experts in conservation, but we have external experts come in and talk to us about um, where the most impact is going to happen um, and how we use the funds. So we're still... Early on, we're still only in the teens of millions per annum. Mm-hmm. Um, we're real. I, th- I think we're on track by the end of next year to be at a hundred million US dollars, and um, that'll really change where the money goes and how we and how it goes. But we have one. We have quick wins. We have a three-year plan, five-year plan, so a longer-term plan on how we're going to continue to hand the money out. 
you know, two of the quick wins that I am fascinated by is um, in um, Mozambique, we, we'd heard that there was a really, um, in a part of Mozambique, in Nasia, we heard that um, there was an anomaly around elephant poaching. So in this um, range, there was 200 elephants being poached per annum. It was higher than anywhere else. And um, the advice we got during the steering committee was that their uh, communications um, equipment hadn't been updated since 1971. Whoa. So they're dealing with 50-year-old comms equipment um, and that $50,000 would fix it. So we allocated $50,000 to that. And since we did it, elephant poaching has gone to zero in that area. So for 50 grand. So there's something really interesting about us not just hand- – we're collecting the money in an innovative, in an innovative way. Um, we also wanted to um, disperse the funds in, to some degree, um, not just to the big regular players, but also find where we could have the most impact. Mm. Um, and then most recently on Sunday, we got a lovely note um, from out of Indonesia um, in the Luisa ecosystem where we've funded the very first female or female ranger team mm. and um, they were suited and booted trained and uh, they sent us some photos and a really nice thank you note um they're ready for patrol today Fantastic. so um yeah it's uh those sorts of things are really excited obviously exciting obviously there's a bunch of places it's going to we're doing a lot in the oceans um we've bought a um we've bought some land um a tiger corridor in sumatra with the leonardo dicaprio foundation there's a bunch of things already happening. So there's a website that shows all of those things. You, you mentioned that there are about 200 million homeless dogs or something. There was yeah. some, I remember that. I don't know what those were regarding. You know what this was? This was a really tricky moment. Um, this is another moment where um, you've got to kind of work out what you're about. Um, um, and this is where probably, you know, if, if you think, I was trying to think about some of the tools that have armed that I've been armed with to kind of get through some of these things because obviously we do other things than this. Lion's share isn't the thing we rest our mm. um, laurels on, but um, there is a there's a really interesting tool. I think fear of missing out and people's need for validation are really two important levers. Mm-hmm. It leads into this story, and that is. Um, um, Mars, obviously, they come on board in a really big way. They're, they're a foundation client, and um, dogs and cats are really important to their business, and they're very passionate about it. Now, dogs and cats are loved, loved animals, but seen as pets. Mm-hmm. The conservation world doesn't see them as animals that need any help. Mm-hmm. The United Nations Charter is that they would work only in developing countries. And so we got to a little bit of a sticking point at some point. I won't go into the full detail because um, it could still be a tiny bit raw. <laughs> but um, you, you'll get the sense of where I'm going here. So um, it's important to Mars. The conservation world are actually are really actively not um, into spending any money on dogs and cats. Um, and with the way the UN Charter is, it can be difficult. Um, And I found myself um, 
you know, when you st- when you go deeper, and, and I understand everyone has their walls, and um, um, I understand that conservation and um, consumerism don't meet. So we started saying, well, look, you don't have to meet. Consider the lion's share as a stream. Just walk up on either side of the stream and drink from the same stream. You don't have to meet, but we all need to work together. Mm-hmm. And um, a big part of the conversation around the conservation world and, frankly, the UN and really um, um, Sir David Attenborough, who does love dogs, he has them, mm-hmm. um, the, I found myself needing to um, express uh, myself in terms of um, as we were starting to get some kind of negative, well, you can't do this and you can't do that and the money can't go here. Um, I started forming the line around all brands, all animals. Um, and the clincher was asking people what sort of – so the horrible fact that there are 200 million homeless dogs in the world. So the question was what sort of world are we saving where we as humans can't find the compassion for 200 million homeless mm-hmm. dogs and do something about it? That's not a – there's no point. If we can't find that compassion, what is the point? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that brought everyone maybe a half stop um, towards where we needed them to be, which was enough. So everyone kind of went, okay, that does make sense. It was obviously great for Mars because they're very passionate about that and they should be. And it, I think it reframed what a fund from the United Nations could do. It broadened out the scope and just – um, it raised that level around this isn't just about conservation mm. and it's not b- about biodiversity. It can be about all animals and suffering. That's amazing that you um, you kind of in a way stood up to that, right? And then got them over the line. Yeah, pretty much. Um, what about locally with all the, you know, the real devastations have been happening with the fires? Are you guys actively involved in helping the animals locally? Yep, so we um, obviously activated really quickly. So we, um, again, sent the note back into that into the UN. The fund can act really quickly. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just an email that has to go around to the steering committee, which went around very quickly. Um, there are two initiatives that we've um, funded in Australia. One's around koalas um, and one is around, uh, one's based on um, Kangaroo Island. So mm-hmm. those... I think those, that money's already been distributed. Mm-hmm. Um, there may be a, the info is on our Instagram. Okay. And how does it work with, like obviously it's top of mind right now because it's recently been launched and it's, you know, presumably all the uh, corporations that advertise showing animals or the advertising agencies who are producing them mm. um, will be very mindful about it. But how do you make sure that it doesn't kind of slip and people stop, still still use animals in their communications but don't kind of pay that 0.5 percent well they signed it's a good part of being well, who signed it is it the advertising agency no it's the clients so um the plan has been follow the money the money's with the clients um the real sense of purpose that we wanted to unearth was with the clients um uh, and the brands so the brands sign a deal with the united nations um and that's enough so um they can choose to self-regulate. They can choose to be regulated through um, Nielsen or they can, you know, we can be creative in, you know, if they're not sure what they're going to spend, we can mm. work out a number, lock them in for three years and um, they'll know that they're just contributing. 
and they may not be sh- using images of animals necessarily. Then, well, this is this is what's really interesting. So the two, um, the two responses that we get when if a brand doesn't um, doesn't say yes straight away, the two biggest responses we get, um, neither of them I believe are valid. Well, the one of them is it's not aligned with our CSR, and this has nothing to do with their CSR. I, great that they've got csr and doing whatever is relevant to the business i'm asking them a separate question um are you going to continue to use animals to generate profit and not contribute because those animals won't be here soon Mm. you won't be able to put them in your ads without them looking like the dodo Mm -hmm. so it's not about your csr it's a different budget and it's a whole different thought and then the second um one um the second not excuse, but I think the, the misunderstanding is a lot of brands say we don't use animals in our advertising or we hardly use animals and it would feel disingenuous. Um, and the simple question there is, um, well, it doesn't cost you anything to sign up. All we're asking is if you ever did use an animal, would you contribute? That's it. If you ever did, would you contribute? Um, and even if brands literally don't, then we say, well, isn't this the way the world you want the do you think this is the way the world should be? And if you do, could you stand up next to us with your brand and say, we don't use many animals, if any, but if we ever did, we would. And so we're going to sign up to this initiative mm. like a catch-all. Mm. So at that point, I don't understand who's not signing up. Mm. I just, just go back. So I, I, when, I'm, when I think of imagery of animals, I mean, I'm thinking, uh, are they like lions roaming in the Sahara? Or are they... You know, someone there on a shoot with a, you know, a trained, you know, a trainer with a dog oh. or, 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 or a snake or whatever. Mm-hmm. Is it like, because they get paid, presumably. Well, I mean, the snake doesn't get paid, but the, yeah. the trainer does. The, yeah. How we're, does that all work? We're it's, not interested. The trainer, um, all power to them. This has gotten, that doesn't really help the natural world and that doesn't help the planet. No. So, um, look. That's person, that's like a, a That's business, a job. Yeah. yeah. You know, look. Um, it's a good time to say that we're not encouraging people to use animals in ads and it's very important that, um, in fact, we'd like to see yes of, less of the trainers uh, manipulating animals in advertising because you know, there's a level of cruelty to that mm. at some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's no encouragement of that. Um, we don't want to use the word tax because tax would be a horrible word. Um, um, but think about you'll be surprised. Go out today and have a look and see, watch commercials that have a lion in the background because it's fierce and Mm. go and have a look at cereal boxes and Mm. um, chocolates and have a look and see how many animals actually get used in ads, even the simplest of go and watch the next insurance ad Mm. and see if they've put a dog in it because it's, um, when, as we know, if you put a dog in an ad, um, it's going to rate when they put into research a half a point better because mm. people feel happier when they see dogs and cats in ads. So, um, you know, we're in production. Animals don't accidentally get put in ads. Nothing accidentally no. hits the screen. Yeah, it's deliberate. Strategic. It's deliberate. And so when I tell you 20% of all animals have ads, it's strategic and they, it's not an, a, a, a dog ran through set. It's let's put the dog in because mm. it's going to help sales. And we're saying, cool. Um, can you contribute a tiny bit? My two French bulldogs, Ralph and Baxter, are very good uh, 
at sensing whether someone's a good person or not. They, I think they come up to you and um, had a good old cuddle. We had a nice moment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Every so often, someone that they're sitting way in the corner, they they start growling. The shackles come up, and it could oh. be someone like downstairs coming into the you know on their way into the building. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's amazing animals. The 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 power of their senses. Yeah. And actually, the difference they do make. We're talking about someone else today about this around. Uh, it being in the environment. I mean, you can have a, a dog or an animal kind of prescribed to you from a doctor, like saying this is this is for your well-being or to keep you calm or to reassurance and things like that. They're so phenomenal on the animals. Mm. Um, the thought of them being abused is just, you know, uh, it's horrific. Upsetting. It's horrific. Um, you know, we... Or them not even being here no longer, extinction. You know? Well, look, we, we, the, we're so removed from um the real natural world here you know we we were lucky enough we we supported um the black mumbas who i think they're in south africa they're south african predominantly women rangers and um we were lucky enough to have one of them speak to us and um she showed us some images um and um, she had broken english and she at one point, she couldn't go on when she was talking about her experience, and she repeated about five times while this image of a rhino with its horn cut off. Um, and as she wept on stage, she just kept repeating unbearable pain, unbearable pain. And the first two unbearable pains, I thought, oh, is that her in unbearable pain? Then the second one, I was like, oh, sorry, the third one, I was like, oh, is she talking about the rhino? Was it? And then on about the fifth one, I thought, oh, my God, she's talking about us. This is the planet that's in unbearable pain. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, um, it was uh, profound. And you just go, oh, look, I felt so blind to what's really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so however we can connect that, if we can, even if the lion's share does both if we if we can have built systemic change where people can have a voice and say hey listen if you're using animals sign up this is good um even that conversation of connecting people in and having people constantly remembering that we're all on the planet together mm-hmm. um and that it's an ecosystem this is not humans and animals this is all of us and this is us with plants flora and fauna all together trying mm-hmm. to work it work together this is a tiny little, but hopefully a very important step. Where does that come from? Your is it from your background? Or is that how you were raised to be more aligned with this whole ecosystem that we're part of? Not at all. No, it's recent just, thing. Um, maybe just um a little bit of opening our eyes. You know, um, truthfully, as I said, there's quite a few things that sit on my desk that are um, what I would call great ideas, both inevitable and simple. This is one of them. So I wasn't a giant conservationist, um, pretty naive to all of it. And I would say that a big part of um, um, what initially motivated me was it seemed almost impossible, but I wondered if we could do it. Have you got kids? I have three beautiful daughters. Oh, I was wondering if that is how old are they? Seventeen, nine, and three. Yowza! Yeah, 
good good um, distance apart. Yes. Um, them coming into the world is that did that open your eyes as well? Because I mean, I know when I had my kids, um, it made me. I got three kids too, um, and um, it made me help me kind of to see the world again like with fresh eyes. Funny enough. Yeah, and does that? Do you think that you make decisions with them in mind? Oh, absolutely. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of their, certainly when they're younger, they're just the questioning and they're seeing things for the first time. It's like things that I took for granted, actually. Although I feel like I'm always looking, I'm always observing. Um, and not taking things for granted is actually amazing how stuff you just don't see anymore because you've seen it before and you walk past it or you don't see it or acknowledge it anymore. Yeah, but it really helped me to open my eyes. I don't know. I guess kind of wondered if that had helped, you know, especially with three daughters that they're you know love animals and very caring and nurturing. You know? Not really. I guess what it probably did for me a little more is, um, you know, it's easy to talk the talk and say anything's possible. You can do anything you put your mind to it, uh, to, um, and then you get tested with things like this and some of the other things that we're doing. Um, and I think probably where they come into play for me is um, I want to I want to be a proof point that anything is possible and they can be anything and they can mm-hmm. literally anything they want to be. I'm I'm recent uh, working on a just as a side thought. Um, there's an amazing documentary that we're involved in around um, mental health. Um, it's going to come out. It's probably the most profound bit of film I've watched in ten years. Um, we might even do a podcast on it maybe one day if it's mm. good enough and you see it's relevant. Cool. And I was talking um, – and so a big part of it is we need to get Billie Eilish on board. Um, it's kind of a bit of a UN moment of yes. this is great. Can you get Billie <laughs> Eilish? Uh, because it, but it's very relevant to the film. And um, my daughter, Olivia uh, – the film's called Live. And my daughter, Olivia, had said to me, oh, you need Billie Eilish because this, her songs are in this um, mm. film – and I was like, yeah, I looked up Billie Eilish, realised she's popular, realised then she's way too popular for me to reach out to. Um, and so we'd been trying for a few weeks and I'd said to Liv, my Liv, uh, look, I don't know, I don't think that's going to work, darling. I don't think we're going to get Billie Eilish on board. And she looked at me and said, are you telling me that you're going to give up? Ooh. You're not a man who gives up. And I went, oh, I looked down, I was like... Oh, this isn't man. a three-year-old. No, this is the, no, the three-year-old. Because <laughs> that would be scary. That would be scary. <laughs> um, no, there's Poppy and there's Frankie as well. So, um, no, Olivia, then she really put it on me and went, so here's what you say you do, and you're about to give up on something that you think is, you know, fundamentally important. And um, I was like, oh, shit, yeah, I can't. So, um, you know, I think that's where kids come in, where you want to be good role models. It was less about um, less about nature. Yeah, hold you accountable. It's cool. And did you make that connection? Uh, well, what is – so here's how our world gets weird. Um, um, so this is now – we've caught up to Lion Share's history and now you're in – we're in real time. This is like down to the hour of where we're at. So – um, Gucci has just announced to the lion share um, globally, which is a really big deal. So um, that's gone out. And 
at the same time they announce, I'm looking at Billie Eilish and I realise she's dressed head to toe in Gucci. Ooh. So then I'm like, huh, well, and um, I have a really great call to action on getting her on board. I've got the sister of um, the girl who um, the film is about who um, really wants Billie Eilish's help, so I've got a great piece of film to send to Billie Eilish. Mm. And now I think I can probably get it to her via Gucci. So I'm going to leverage my relationships with Lionshare and the United Nations into now the president of Gucci who has signed up to Lionshare and see whether he is aligned with what we want to do and somehow he'll send it on or someone there will send it on. Mm. So I don't know. Let's see. Wow. Isn't that amazing? You put it out there. And, Dude, and, and we'll give things, it a regal. Things, it comes through. Yeah. Um, I think that's where a lot of people probably listening in are, are, are creative people, designers, um, and a lot of them would be working to clients' briefs. Mm. And that's something which is, you know, it's great. That's what the industry's done for a very long time. Uh, and we do that every day. Um, but an idea is an idea. You know, whether you have it for a client or you have one for yourself or a self-initiated project mm. or a new business or whatever. Um, how do you... Th- how do you, apart from that kind of that little note on your desk, <laughs> you'll be you'll be dead soon enough, um, or your kid kind of saying, "Hey, your dad, yeah. you know, you you said this. Don't be a hypocrite." Yeah, I get that from my daughter. <laughs> yeah, <Very laughs> it's okay leveler. for you. Yeah, um, I think how, how do you how do individuals shift from, I guess, the realization that their ideas are actually can be brilliant and can be realized. They're not just I mean, for a long time, I just thought, oh, that's an idea, it's bugging me. I, that's an idea, I've got an idea for something, a new business or whatever. Mm. And for a long time, I just kept saying, ah, no, that's not my job. That's not what I do. Mm. Um, it sounds difficult. I don't know how to bring it to life. Mm. I mean, I guess this whole podcast is about bringing big ideas, big important ideas to life. And I guess knowing when it's a, a big idea, knowing when it's an idea worthy of that, despite the kind of the obstacles along the way, and it's proof, there's impact towards a proof that, certainly with this one, um, that there is an audience for it, there is a way through, even if you don't know, even if you're winging it, uh. you know, you find your way through this kind of, uh, this maze and get to a point where you go, oh my God, this is just going ballistic. Uh. It's, just, it's just people, it's resonating with other people more so, or it's in a way it endorses the, th- the thought that for you that this is a big idea that is, that has potential. Uh. But often, and I might just speaking from my own mind, is that I stop. I have this big idea that my whole body feels it and I get excited about it. And I start mocking things up quickly. Um, start to bring this idea to life in my head and kind of, you know, on paper. Um, and sometimes it just stops. Lack of funding. You get busy back on working for clients. Uh, you get busy in your own business or family and stuff. How do you break through that? Um, I'm not sure. I think um, it's probably, uh, I don't think it's a one tool, does it? I think, um, honestly, that line, don't worry, you'll be dead soon enough, is probably going to lead you to that one, next little phase where you're like, oh, that seems hard, or I don't know if I can do it, and you go, maybe the next step could do it. I think the you're probably a little different where you're already 
at that phase and maybe you're pretty smart where you go, oh, shit, that will just be a waste of time. There's also versions mm. of it where it yeah. shouldn't happen, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they're not all good. Yeah. And there's a reason sometimes that things don't happen. But I think um, one of the things I generally get is that um, a lot of people don't give themselves permission to do it mm. um, or they feel like it's too far away. Mm. And one something that I realised from a quite a young age even probably really from bras and things days when I was coming up with Sanity, the music chain. Mm-hmm. I have no training. I mean, I meant to be a pharmacist. I, I got 6% in flowering plants <laughs> uh, and it was a multiple choice. I mean, if I'd have just filled in A all the way down, I would have got 20%, right? So horrible failure. Um, and yet I was still able to do that. And I think one of the interesting anomalies in life is um, when you're feeling that distance from, wow, that's not my world. Mm. Um, I realise that if you put yourself in the centre of the action, just plonk yourself in, mm. in the worst way, and this is where Don't Worry Be Dead Soon Enough comes in, where you're like, yeah. I don't have the courage to plonk myself in the middle because I'm going to look like an idiot, I don't belong, yeah. and, I don't, and I'm a fraud. But if you can plonk yourself in the middle of the action, one thing that's always rung true for me is before you know it, you become the action. It's so weird. Mm. Plonk yourself in the middle of anything for two years and you'll find that you are it. Mm. Um, and so um, if there are things that you're interested or excited about or things you want to play in or you want to play more with the UN or you want to understand the world of football or car enthusiasm, mm. enthusiasts, plonk yourself in the middle of it. Um, mm. you'll, you'll wake up in a... Before you know it, you'll be the action. You'll be the person people are talking to about it, and from there, you'll you'll jump off. Um, you'll jump off at a different point. What do you think about the whole? You know, there's a lot of conversations and philosophies around failing, failing fast. You know, mm. fail more. Mm. <laughs> I I don't like that. I don't like failing. I don't. Mm. It's such a. People say, oh. What's the worst thing can happen? And my creative mind goes, oh, my God. I can think of a lot of terrible things that could happen. Yeah. Um, fear, you know, fear, fear stops a lot of good things. You yeah. Know? Um, so the breaking through that, plonking yourself into an uncomfortable situation outside your comfort zone is quite fearful. I mean, just doing mm. that. So fearful. Um, you know, I was taking my son recently to a course in Ultimo, uh, and there's a certain amount of fear for him going doing this new course, and I could just see it in his whole body. Mm. And I'm kind of gently trying to push him, and uh, you know, not pushing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to get him over the line. Encourage and, him. And I know that after a few days, he's going to go, "What was I worried about?" Yeah. It's um, the same mentality, though. Yeah, it is the same mentality. But that fear could stop you from uh, going into a relationship, moving to another country, starting a new job. Yep. Uh, starting an idea that you really believe in. Yep. That's that. Don't you worry. You seem to be you'll, fearless. Don't worry. You'll be dead soon enough. I know. It actually I know, I know. works, dude. I'm, I know. In I know. all of those scenarios. Look, I, I don't read. How did you stumble very across that, though? But, because that's obviously that's what now you live by. Is, uh, that, is that a recent little no, note? It just popped in my head where I was like, oh, shit, I can't. I can't fly to the UN. <laughs> Why would I fly to the UN um, off my own money, off my own back, off with a piece of paper? Mm. I mean, it seems ridiculous that you would. It seems audacious, but it's not. It's not all about audacity. It was just about um, 
it, it's probably where I would lead into. So I, I don't read very many books on anything, frankly, but I, I definitely don't read them on fail fast and mm. all of that. Um, I think you have to work some of those things out yourself. I think they're fine to read, but I don't live by any of those. Yeah. Um, what I do think is healthy is um, treating our time um, either in business or on the planet as a bit of an experiment um, because then it makes it fun. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it stops being scary again if you can treat it like an experiment and say, oh, if I did that, I wonder what would happen. Mm. Where there's no good or bad outcome. There's just an outcome. Um, that's kind of fun. It, it, it becomes fun where you're like, oh, if I went to that thing and I said this to that person, I wonder what's going to happen. Are they going to slap me in the face? Are they going to think I'm a moron? Are they going to think, are they just going to sit down or are they going to fall asleep? I mean, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, there's something kind of fun about treating it all like an experiment. Is that something that's come? Is that something that you've always had in your life, or is it something that you've now got more confidence of running your own business for ten years? Uh, I think the true answer is I think it's reasonably innate, and I've had to come up with all these weird little sentences to explain myself to um, my executive team at work. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Because there's, you know, I think some of it is just innate. You know, um, I've got great parents who have always um, backed me. You know, my dad is, has been amazing in business and just great people person and taught me some really good fundamental things. I used to work in the chemist shop and deliver, you know, tablets on my bike to old people, mm. you know, to nursing homes. And um, my mum's always been an amazing mum. So, so I think you sort of learn some – I don't know. I honestly don't know because um, – a lot of this is just retro rhetoric. What about uh, one thing that I keep thinking about is bras and things. What is the things? <laughs> oh, what dude. are the things? The things are anything else that aren't bras. <laughs> Was that quite extensive? Which is mind boggling when you're 21. <laughs> uh, are they still going? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Brett Blundy, I think. I'm not sure. I haven't spoken to Brett for quite a long time, but um, he's a bloody smart dude. What do you think of. Uh, Australia's position in, I guess, the world of creativity because we're sitting here on this incredibly huge island. Mm. Um, you know, you're working with some of the top agencies and top clients in Australia. Mm. How do you think that compares with, you know, again, what you see in DNAD and mm. stuff coming out of, you know, Europe, London, New York, etc.? Mm. Um, I try. I don't know enough about um, all of the other markets. We do do quick little snapshots of what's happening in the world of production. Mm-hmm. Um, I find generally that thinking um, reasonably limiting. So um, I love the idea that it doesn't matter where you are, you can transcend the shores. I love, I treat that as a, an experiment for Finch. So, yeah. you know, we are lucky enough to have won two black pencils already. Um, Lion share is going to probably be entered into DNAD um, over the next few months. I would secretly, even though I'm, you know, I haven't talked much about awards and I'm trying to do good, you know, winning a third black pencil from this country would be pretty cool and would be a good proof point that you kind of don't need to worry. You know, um, you can be rele- you can be as relevant as you want to be, and you can transcend the shores. You'd know that 
you know, your brand easily yeah. transcends the shores of this country. Well, I, I'm glad you said that about your your answer around, you know, just focus on doing good things here. Uh, I totally agree with that. I know when I f- was first moving here, like in 2003, people locally were saying to me, why on earth would you want to come to Australia? You know, it's like clients don't get design, clients don't appreciate it. And I, I did never felt anything, I never felt that at all when I came here. I just saw opportunity everywhere. I just saw people needed help. I mean, I'm in the business of helping people, you know, individuals and organizations, and I don't, you know, if someone doesn't understand or value design, that doesn't make in that person, he or she, less of, a, uh, of, a, of an opportunity to help someone, genuinely, mm-hmm. you know. For me, we're very much aligned that we're not, I'm not in it for money. Of course, the bigger you get as an organization, the more money you need to run the organization, but it's not, it's not focused on, it's fo- for me, it's focusing on creating a culture, investing back in the people, and actually creating an environment for other people to thrive. Yeah. And, and I want to be doing it in the most sustainable way. I want to kind of create uh, a healthy organization that does good, you know. Mm-hmm. And this time right now is really important that it seems to me that, the, you know, and it's in the news every day now, and, um, you know, how, how serious a matter it is that we all get together, we all start working on uh, doing better, you know, doing not for commercial reasons mm. alone, but for, for um, you know, helping the world be a better place, helping the world correct some of the things that are wrong and uh, reduce waste, uh, get more aligned with, with nature, et cetera, and all these things. Something my parents have been talking about for, since I was a little kid, mm. um, and, and it's a long time ago, I just kind of thought that was just like, oh, that's kind of hippie kind of talk. And, you know, it's now, now it's actually just in the mass. The mass masses are talking the same thing. Mm. But us as creative organizations have, we're at the front of, of actually decision making. Um, we're the ones that often are, are making recommendations or specifying or uh, guiding our clients into doing the right thing. And therefore, we really need to gear up and understand what is the right thing. Mm and push people around us, push suppliers, et cetera, to also improve uh, on on finding new ways of doing things more sustainably. Yeah, I couldn't doesn't agree mean, doesn't mean it's going to be less of an experience or less quality at no. all. Uh, so it's a really exciting, it's kind of exciting and daunting. You know, we came back from Christmas going, normally come back after, after Christmas going, wow, I can't wait to get going. This year is like, oh my God. Whereas, you know, what's what's happened? You know, we're... It's not business as usual. No. Uh, you know, we need to rethink. We need to, you know, what do we do? That's a big question. Um, we've got a series of, uh, sus- um, we do a defrost and we have a sustainable sustainability circular economy defrost coming up next month, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, and, you know, we're talking to our clients every day. We don't have all the answers, but we're looking and we're, we're finding people around us who, who know a little bit more or, you know, <laughs> got mm. some strong thoughts. And it's wonderful to kind of bump into you through DNAD, ironically, even mm. though we're just a few miles away from each other. Um, and find kind of, I guess, you know, someone in a business who's really much passionate about doing good. Uh, the craft and the ideas that actually make a difference to this, just this planet. 
I think that it's from it's phenomenal um, what you guys are doing with the lion's share. Thanks, uh, man. It's absolutely. I got goosebumps even thinking about it. It's just it's such a it's such a you know it's one of the things you go. It's a no brainer. It's like and and I don't want to belittle. I can see the effort you've put into this to make this thing happen. But you go, God, that's an obvious idea. Oh. Um, and sometimes these ideas are obvious, but sometimes people never see those ideas. You've seen the idea, the opportunity. I guess through working in that market, through them in the in the world of advertising and content creation hmm. and you've seen that opportunity through you know what you guys are doing every day and and you've seen a different way of you know you know redistributing the funds that are generated from that well it's interesting because you asked you were talking earlier about you know snapshot of what's happening in the world this is now what's happening in the world so um when um we can act and we can find our sense of purpose and and do good mm-hmm. and and um, drive the inevitable, um, it acts as a bit of a beacon. You know, you stop looking about what the world's doing and the world starts to look at what we're doing, mm. um, you know, and you attract the right people. So, you know, by ac- it's not even by accident, but, you know, so now the global CMO of Mars, um, um, she's a wonderful lady, um, uh, Jane, um, she... She's lent in and we're in constant conversations, you know, uh, with Jane around, okay, well, how do we drive the lion's share and what are we doing? And, you know, there's a lady named Mitch Oliver as well um, at Mars. So you've got Jane Wakeley, Mitch Oliver, two great women at Mars, pushing towards this thing that we're in conversation with. We didn't hunt them down and I don't actively go and try and sell to them. There's nothing to sell them, but we, there are like-minded people that want to do great work mm-hmm. and so – you stop looking at what the world's doing and, you know, to some degree the world has to take notice and look at what we're doing and now it doesn't matter where you are, right? And it's the same philosophy, you know, when you say, right, what are we doing? You don't go, well, what's happening that we can help with? Mm. You know, you're saying, shit, snapshot of the planet, snapshot of Australia right now, what are we doing? Mm. What do we want to do next? Um, and if it's interesting enough and it's gutsy enough, um, what will kick in is if you can get those things going, um, now let's move quickly to the manipulative side of getting our own way because that's a big part of it as well. The two things, there's two levers that worked its ass off for us. One is um, people's FOMO is very, very strong. Fear of missing out is a very, very f- strong emotion and people's need for validation is a mm-hmm. very, very strong emotion and I really see them. I visualize them as levers mm. and um if you can do something that's good fomo and people's need for validation will kick in and um even though they seem like um that seems like a negative thing to take advantage of uh i do mm. i love it and um if if that helps us get our way if that's if our way we believe is good um tapping into people's fomo i'm happy for it yeah, yeah. and it works i think rob this um this project's going to take up a lot of your time, isn't it? I mean, it's not going to be, it's not done now. No. The podcast is almost done. Yes. But this project is, I would imagine, take up a significant amount of your time and energy. Yeah. Would you have other projects that are coming through or okay, you just, this is the focus for the, time, the, the moment? No, we have 
quite a few all around systemic change. Plus, remember that we're running a business that is all about film craft and, you know, um, realising creative thoughts around, you know, ads and also um, filmmaking, documentary filmmaking. So there's stacks on. Um, we've got a ridiculously good team. Corey Essie, who's our MD, you know, really runs and drives the business so well. Um, so I'm lucky that the business is at a scale that makes sense and the conversation really is as the sands are shifting, um, the business reason to stay involved and the, the way that the mechanism is built so that we can do many of these things is while ever we stay interesting as a company and relevant, um, we will be top of mind. And we already have proven that we're a good quality company. Yeah. So now top of mind, as you know, in a small business is the key. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, there's a there's a stack of things we're doing around women in STEM. We're trialing a, a um, we're trialing a uh, curriculum that we've written. We've been teaching it for three years around creative technology. We're trialing that in Burundi, um, the poorest Africa, uh, the, the second poorest African nation. Um, we're working on all sorts of other docos. So there's there's stacks going on, and the business can only hand some, handle so much of it. So. Um, how do you process all this? How do you how do you sleep at night? I mean, do you just have a head full of like excitement and ideas and you know? Yeah, it's like a nice little party that I <laughs> we just keep it going <laughs> until I fall asleep. Normally, yeah, uh, cool. Um, well, listen, Rob, it's been fantastic catching up with you today. Uh, thanks for coming in, and absolutely, you know, best of luck with everything that you're doing. Thank right, you. thanks, Rob. Dude, you're a legend. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. If you enjoyed this episode and found it inspiring, please don't forget to review or subscribe.